Hey, what's up, YouTube? It's Richie from Boston. It is the 28th. It is May. It is the year 2020. And I am joined once again out of the greatness of his heart by Dr. Andrew Kaufman because he doesn't have to be here. And even with the rampant rumors that he is a Freemason due to the fact that he was taking a photo of him shaking someone's hand, he's still here. Andrew, thanks for stopping in once again. And I know you got a literal deluge of uh, questions, so I'm sure you're ready. Yeah, it's going to be a busy week, uh, Richie. Uh, I got tons of questions. And uh, let me just, uh, you know, remind people uh, to try to keep the questions to uh, just one question. And, and uh, the more succinct you can make it, the better. Uh, some of these questions are like a short novel. So I'll, I'll uh, skip to the important points. But um, I got a few that came in just before the show, and there was a really interesting one I thought I'd start with. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, Paul. Actually, this is Pablo from last week from Santa Barbara, California. Um, and he writes, oh, sorry, that's the wrong question. I apologize. I'll get to you, Pablo, later. Uh, this one is from Rick in St. Louis. And he says, uh, two of my children, ages seven and two, have type one diabetes. Uh, with current events, we are concerned that we may not have access to insulin. Can you address my concerns in any way? Well, that, I think that's a valid concern because um, while I'm sure that they're going to maintain a supply of insulin, there may be conditions in the future to be able to have access to it, right? Like uh, having the contract a contact tracing app on your phone or things like that. So it's definitely um, a good concern. So I would say there, there are two things that you could do to prepare for this. Uh, one is to uh, work on nutrition and perhaps, you know, with someone who has some expertise in this to um, reduce the insulin requirement as minimal as possible. Uh, many times you can work with type 1 diabetes and really like get down to a, a really small amount of insulin required. So that will make things a lot easier. Now, if, if you're in a situation where you don't have access to any insulin, the best thing to do is hydration. And uh, that will essentially allow the kidneys to pee out the excess sugar and you can keep up with that and you, it'd be really hard to overdo it. So that would be definitely the thing to do if you were stuck in a situation uh, with no insulin at all. But I think you could go back to what people did in the old days uh, after insulin was discovered, which is that you take the pancreas out of a pig and you can prepare that in such a way to concentrate the insulin and use that as a preparation. And that's how uh, the original insulin was uh, first produced. So perhaps you could do a little research into what's required to um, extract it and purify it and make it uh, safe uh, for injection, um, just in the, you know, um, hopefully never will happen circumstance that you might not have access to it like before. Really uh, interesting question, it, isn't it, Richie? You're killing it. I'm staying out of the way. I'm letting you do your thing. <laughs> Hey, real quick, before you jump to the next question, yeah, let me show you this and just see what you uh, we, this this popped up since last time we spoke. I mean, we knew it was coming, but boy, it it sure was ready quick, huh? The, oh the yeah, I'm sure it's uh, been planned for a while. Yep, yep. So, Everything everything's been planned for a while, but it, it's all rolling out, and people are buying it at face value, which freaks me out. Wow. So there's uh, some um, fingerprint identification as part of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And notice how they show the DNAs, the branch chain DNA with the uh, they're just telling you, they're just telling you it's all it's all right. there. Well, it's uh, it's right in the bullseye of a target. Did you notice that? I did not. The, the, the DNA is in the bullseye of the target there. 
I did not. You're good, man. Let me see if I can pull this. Hold on. I lost it. All right. We'll come back to it. Go ahead. Grab your next question. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, so uh, let's see. The next question is um, from Fred High, 63. Oh, no. It's actually Alfred. Sorry. Um, this is Alfred from Wichita, Kansas. I just wanted to share something with you today. My wife's known to have a real bad chronic asthma in the past. She goes to her regular doctor's visits and everything's normal. She gets prescribed medication and goes on about her business. Come to find out she got sent home without any medicine and she has to wait for her results due to the fact that she got tested for the COVID bullshit. Doctor told her that if she has it, that it would only make COVID worse without her medication. It's going to make her asthma spiral out of control. Um, help me convince my family that this is all fake. Well, um, Alfred, uh, I can't even convince my own family that it's all fake. So this is a really difficult uh, thing to deal with because many people are just don't have the ability to see what's going on in front of them. And, you know, for a number of reasons, I think uh, I've discussed before, but if they are open to looking at some material, I suggest that you uh, have them watch uh, my two videos on my YouTube channel, which is the uh, humanity is not a virus and the, the uh, rooster in the river of rats. And that will give a pretty strong scientific evidence about the uh, fakery of the virus and may, may help them. Uh, there's always a chance. But what I'd say is here, I have to ask a question back. Why do they withhold her asthma medication? Uh, that, that doesn't really make any sense. And I'm wondering if it was just uh, an oversight and maybe you should call the office and have them uh, give you those medications or call in a, a prescription because you don't want to be without that. But I would ask the question, you know, why did she get tested in the first place? Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the COVID test and um, it has a 0% accuracy rate and we don't even know what it's measuring. But there are lots of consequences if you have a positive test that you're going to be, you know, reported, put on a list. Uh, you might you'll be asked to quarantine. You may be prohibited from certain privileges. So um, I think that's the most important thing is, uh, you know, uh, to, to carefully consider before you have a test uh, what, what the purpose of doing it is. Um, I would also say, Alfred, that um, asthma is something that is, uh, can be usually reversed to a point that you don't need medications uh, through usually just doing some cleansing and changes in the diet and perhaps addressing some liver uh, issues. So, Seriously? you know, yeah. Asthma can be reversed naturally? Oh, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I, my my ex-wife was she she was attached to a inhaler because she had really bad asthma. I wish I had known that. Oh, yeah. No, almost every illness can really be uh, treated and reversed to some degree. Some things, you know, are more difficult than others. And the longer certain conditions go on, like especially, yeah, there you go, uh, like neurodegenerative diseases like MS and, and uh, dementia, like they, they can be, you know, you can't treat them at a certain point. But, uh, but asthma is usually quite amenable to treatment. And um, and it's, it's not necessarily that difficult. Like one thing she could just try right off the bat is going dairy-free. Uh, sometimes just going dairy-free might be enough um, to uh, alleviate the condition. And especially if you combine that with increased uh, water, like many people are walking around chronically dehydrated and uh, you can get a lot of coughing and other respiratory symptoms when you're dehydrated as well. So I recommend uh, one quart per 60 body pounds, uh, 60 pounds of body weight uh, daily to meet your minimum water requirement. You're the best. You should probably do it. 
video on that if you haven't already. Yeah, no, that is a good one. I mean, there's so many topics I'd like to get to if, uh, you know, we could get past this pandemic and uh, not have to talk about viruses all the time. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a, Andrew, <laughs> we tried to ignore this when it first broke out, no pun intended, but it just won't go away. It's affecting absolutely everything every single solitary day. It's insane. Yeah, I know. I know. It's hard to get away and, you know, just uh, go out and, you know, work in the garden or whatever. But right. it's important to do that, you know, like don't don't obsess about this all day long. Um, so, all right, next question. This is from uh, Pamela, um, and she asks, uh, do you think this whole crew is COINTELPRO? And she says, Mikevitz, Kent, Heckenlivy, JD, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and Del Bigtree. Polly Tommy's body of interviews from the vaxxed bus are a solid hit to the vaccine house of horrors. Vax TV, blah, blah, blah. Um, somehow I feel it may be necessary to fight fire with napalm at this juncture. I've always considered Judy to be that napalm. It's not Fauci that brings down this house of cards. It's both of them. Subpoena Judy and you've opened a Pandora's box. This book is kindergarten, just my opinion. So, uh, you know, that's uh, quite an interesting question. And I'm sure that some of the people talking about various narratives, you know, about this situation are co-opted in some way, but I don't really, uh, you know, I don't think it's my place to talk about individual people and I don't really have any direct evidence, uh, you know, of that, but I'll tell you that there is one thing that I do have some concern about and it's uh, that some scientists and doctors are uh, talking about the possibility of some kind of bioengineered virus or bioweapon. And I think that's a, a very dangerous thing to talk about because, you know, th there's definitely no evidence that anything like that has been deployed um, and because there's really no evidence of any uh, major illness. And I don't know that really they have the technology to even make something like that that could successfully work. But the, the big concern I have really is that it perpetuates the fear about a viral attack or attack of a virus or virus disease. And it's, it continues to allow, um, you know, the government and the other powers to exert more force over our freedoms. So I think it's really important to get to the bottom that there actually is no evidence of a virus causing this disease. The, the biggest concern right now is the, the, the narrative that they started, which was the second wave, the second wave. A lot of alternative journalists and a lot of mainstream journalists are afraid that they're going to let us keep doing what we're doing, showing the proof that what they're saying is inaccurate, showing their own information that's showing that it is inaccurate. You know what I'm saying? Like the CDC's numbers are all completely different than what they told us, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think they could use some sort of a bioweapon because from what we've learned, viruses don't spread like that. But we spoke about this before. They could use something on the vein of something like anthrax or tainting the water or something to that effect. I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's yeah. a, well, you know, Richie, I was actually, I mean, not, not that I want to be thinking about this, but I was having this and I, you know, we've talked about this. I heard you talk about it with James Corbett and um, I was having a conversation with someone and the idea struck me that if you wanted to cause a respiratory illness uh, through a toxin, you could take the Legionella bacteria, which it like lives in a ventilation system and like an air conditioning in a building. And it creates a toxin that gets into the ventilation system and people breathe it and get really sick with a respiratory, like a pneumonia. 
And so that would be something that would mimic the symptoms that they say, you know, COVID-19 has, and they could simply uh, infiltrate it into the, you know, big apartment buildings in a city and cause massive uh, casualties. So, you know, it wouldn't be difficult to do something like that. You can culture that bacteria in the laboratory and make plenty of this toxin and have, you know, people masquerading as uh, HVAC technicians to, uh, you know, deploy it and get away with it. And I think, you know, with the second wave, which, you know, has definitely been promised to us, um, if they do do something to actually make people really sick, you know, I, I, I could see the uh, sort of kickback against us saying that, look, here now, now can you deny it's real, you know, and it will reinvigor the whole, uh, you know, virus dogma. So I'm definitely concerned about it, but it's good that we're anticipating the possibility of that so we can, you know, look back at this video and say, look, this is exactly what we predicted. Exactly. And the other thing too, that we can't discount, and I know you've spoken and, and researched this quite a bit, which is awesome to see that you aren't afraid to look at things that people have already labeled conspiratorial, even like chemtrails, for instance. Well, chemtrails were conspiratorial forever until Harvard put up their website saying, hey, uh, we're, we've, we've never done this, but we're gonna start spraying the sun in front of the sun, out of airplanes, nanoparticulates to block the sun and bounce it back into outer space. And it's like, well, that's weird because we've been saying that for 10 years. The 5G going up, I mean, everything being shut down, essential workers, et cetera. The one thing that was completely immune from this was 5G was going up everywhere. Allegedly, see, we don't know yet, but this could mimic, this could mimic COVID-19 or some things to that effect, perhaps, right? Yeah, well, Richie, I mean, actually, you're kind of uh, helping me answer one of the uh, questions. Oh, because um, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. That's why. Yeah, no, no. Well, of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is a really important point because I think it, it seems pretty logical that 5G is a major part of this takeover world globalist plan, right? Because that's why they're, you know, trying so hard to install it right now. But we, we don't, you know, we, we can't tell exactly what it's going to be used for, right, other than the Internet of Things or increased surveillance state. But in terms of like any direct effects of the radiation, right, we know that this kind of technology has been used for crowd control. We know that it can have a lot of uh, deleterious health effects, right, that could make, make people sick. But we don't know the full story or the full plan uh, you know, behind it. So I think, um, you know, it's important to pay close attention to how that plays out and then look at some parallels in history, um, which, uh, you know, I'll recommend this excellent book that I know has sold a lot of copies lately, but, but it's called The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. And by the way, this is the book that describes the contagion stories about the Spanish flu, but it talks about how before every major epidemic and pandemic, that there's been a huge uh, infrastructure upgrade related to something electrical, right? So in the 1918 Spanish flu, it was uh, radio transmission, radio communications. Other times it was satellites, uh, sorry, not satellites, it was radar, or it was uh, electric grid upgrade, or it was a telecommunication system, right? Yeah, that's the excellent book right there. So I think, you know, we, there's a lot of uh, historical correlation between these new um, infrastructure upgrades and, and major illnesses and outbreaks. So this is certainly something that, that, you know, has not gone unnoticed and, you know, could be part of the plan for sure. 
it's just funny that right before this entire thing broke out, they were people were rioting in countries we normally don't get rioting, like China, et cetera, and ripping down. Or, I mean, at least we were seeing videos of them ripping down 5G and burning them down, et cetera. And I happen to know for a fact the military uses millimeter waves as active denial, and it's no joke. It's like turning a microwave oven inside out and shooting it right at you. It's no joke. So, yeah, I'm familiar with that. It's uh, we will see. That's just all there is to it. It's <laughs> all right. The next one is from uh, Tus or Teus. I'm not sure how to say that, but it says, uh, "Can Dr. Kaufman elaborate a little on the third cause of illness in relation to the pandemic?" It seems to be a psychological shocking experience for many. What sort of illnesses can come forth from this scam being played? Well, I'll tell you that uh, it could be almost anything. And I think the way people express illness is very much individualized to their lifestyle and their specific, you know, unique uh, bodily physiology. But um, when you're in this chronic fear state, and, you know, there's a lot of other things uh, being on lockdown besides just the psychological, because uh, you know, you're not exposed to sunlight, you don't get as much exercise and all these other things, but the lack of social interaction um, and, uh, you know, the chronic fear are going to have really devastating effects. And they basically, your body doesn't work in its optimal uh, state when you're under those conditions because it's basically in survival mode. So it puts all of the energy into the survival functions, like being on alert for danger having tunnel vision, uh, you know, being ready to jump up and fight at any time. And this this results in uh, burnout of the adrenal glands and exhaustion over time and, and chronic uh, psychological stress. So it makes us very susceptible uh, to illnesses um, if we're exposed to any toxin, if we don't get good nutrition. And it could it could present in a, you know, a variety of ways. But if like, let's say that there was a plan to expose us to something to make us sick, if it occurred right after people started coming out of a prolonged lockdown, I think it would have a much more devastating effect than if it just occurred when the population is uh, going about life as usual. You're so well researched. I love how you come with your game face on ready to go, man. You I mean, it just, it amazes me that it, there's no monetary incentive here. This doesn't help your credibility in the medical community whatsoever at all. You know what I mean? For the, for the most part, except for the 500 doctors that have sent letters into Donald Trump. I do have that PDF. I just can't find it. Have you seen that as of yet? No, I haven't seen that one. I know, I some, I know some people have been speaking out more, though. Well, we're up to 500 and counting, and it's, it's new. And they're saying that everything, I mean, finally, everyone's starting to jump on the bandwagon that you actually started rolling. So... It's awesome. Yeah, well, uh, it's a it's about time. <laughs> uh, I hope so. I hope so. All right, Richie. Um, all right. So next question. Uh, this is from Mike. Um, I've heard about the 1918 Spanish flu and the vaccines being a possible cause and or supplement. It makes sense if it happened only in America. Uh, but if this disease was popping up in other countries, that could argue against germ theory. And if vaccines were a factor, how did the people in other countries contract the same disease around the same time? So, Mike, this is a good question, and the Spanish flu is a, like a very complicated thing to study. Oh, <laughs> it is true. You know, I tried I, to get you well, both on at the same time. I you know. Are very you know we need a side-by-side -side comparison. Maybe you can uh, you do it some graph there, graphics yeah. editing. <laughs> That's all. All right, I'm going to digress. Go ahead. That's okay. I'll take it as a compliment. So, um, 
you know, this is a good question. And I was saying the Spanish flu is, uh, is a bit tricky, right? Because there's so many people uh, who are affected. And you can tell by the, the historical report of how many people supposedly died that there's a lot of inaccuracy in the data collection because they range from 10 million to 100 million. And that's like a, 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 10, a factor of 10, you know, error rate. So there's a lot of uh, misinformation. But the Spanish flu, in my opinion, was not one disease. Uh, there were multiple different constellations of symptoms that people experienced, not only in different geographic areas, but also in the same area when people had different uh, types of experiences. Um, the vaccines were a major factor, but not just in the United States, because this, the European soldiers from many countries who also received lots of vaccinations. And then I'm not sure about in other countries, but in the United States, there was also a lot of promotion of other vaccines, uh, one in response to the Spanish flu, and then also as a result of uh, the soldiers coming back. And perhaps some have speculated that part of the reason for that actually is that the military had developed and produced so many vaccines that they had uh, a bunch of surplus uh, after the war. Um, but there were other uh, issues as well. Like I mentioned, the radio uh, communications, and there's some interesting data from the Isle of Wight about that. Um, and then there were other issues too, that they were treating people with um, flu-like illnesses with high dose of aspirin at the time, which can cause uh, additional respiratory problems that seem to be prevalent, like uh, bleeding in the lungs. So I think it's uh, really a, not one disease, but it was a, a variety of things that all kind of occurred at the same time, right at the end of World War I. Um, and it's a, it's a big, uh, you know, difficult kind of messy thing. But, you know, the most important thing is to know is that there was never uh, a virus that was proven to cause that. And there were many, many things that argued against uh, even having similar characteristics to uh, a seasonal or, or an epidemic flu. Okay. So um, should we go for another question or you, did you want to chime in? Is, is, no, no, good. To, there's no reason. All I'm doing is bringing you to the masses. That's it. And pretty soon you won't need me anymore at all. So it's all good. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, Richie, if you do another question session with Dr. Kaufman, would you ask him about Lyme disease and how I can win the battle that I've been fighting with it since 2009? I can get no relief from joint pain, and I've tried a lot of things natural and prescription. Pain meds do help temporarily, but who can function doped up all the time? So I gave them up years ago and have just been suffering through the day each day. Um, so yeah, this is uh, from Tina. Sorry, Tina, I'm sorry that you're uh, dealing with this joint pain, but you know, Lyme disease is another uh, illness that's not what it seems. And what was really uh, convinced me uh, a lot about Lyme is uh, that um, Dr. Jennifer Daniels uh, pointed out, and, and I looked at this, uh, that if you look at a map, of where the uh, deer tick is that supposedly spreads the disease. And then you look at a map of uh, where cases of people diagnosed and suffering from Lyme disease, you'll see that they don't match up. So that's uh, very strong evidence, you know, that this is not a tick uh, related uh, type of illness, but nonetheless, you, you still have a real illness and you're suffering with arthritis and joint pain. So I'd say there's probably a number of things you can do, and I would really need more information to give you a, an individualized plan. So, you know, please contact me if you want to go that route. But one big thing um, would be to eat collagen-rich foods, because many times um, 
uh, pain in the joints or damage to the joints from any cause uh, can't be repaired properly by our body because uh, the modern diet in our culture has uh, very little or no collagen, right? We take the skin uh, off all our meats. Uh, we don't eat connective tissue uh, parts of the animal like the feet and the joints. Um, so if you want to replenish that, you can eat a, a variety of things like uh, cow foot soup, which is actually a delicacy in, in uh, Asian and uh, Latin cuisine. Uh, you can cook with ham hocks. You can make bone broth, which is a little bit more palatable for most people and drink a cup of that a day. It has to be really gelatinous when you refrigerate it because that shows you there's enough collagen in there. Or if you're really squeamish, you could always uh, get some uh, gelatin powder and take a quarter cup of that a day. You got to drink it with uh, a lot of water. So if you uh, replenish yourself with collagen, and it might take a couple of months, depending on how depleted you are, so don't give up too early on that, uh, um, it could make uh, a big difference. And like I said, if you want more uh, personalized information, uh, please uh, feel free to get in touch with me. There's a company called Knox that makes collagen gel. Uh, is that accurate? I, I, I know people used to drink it or eat it. It's like a Jello mm -hmm. for their fingernails and hair. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of different supplements out there. But the problem is most of them you, you'd need to take quite a bit. Like so if it's like a capsule or whatever, you know, you'd, you'd need probably to take like 75 capsules a day to uh, get enough collagen to replace it. So that's why I say, you know, the powder, uh, because you need a big tub of it if you're going to go that route. Um, but, you know, like why why not skip the middleman and make the bone broth yourself? You'll save a lot of money. You'll get a better quality uh, collagen because the gelatin powders are uh, also like they don't have all of the collagen proteins. They just, uh, you know, have one or two of them. So it's not quite quite as good. And I think most people, you know, find bone broth to be quite tasty. I mean, it's just like, you know, chicken or beef broth. Um, it's not a big deal. Like what, what I do to make sure my kids get enough um, collagen is I make chicken soup pretty frequently, but I add chicken feet to the, uh, to the soup. And then, you know, when it chills in the fridge, it's like, it's all jello. Uh, but the kids love it. So, you know, it's like that's an easy way to make sure. And, you know, kids really need a lot of this, obviously, because they're growing and especially if they're athletes or whatever and putting wear and tear on their growing joints. So it's a really, uh, you know, positive thing. Well, wow, so you're basically recommending what we were grown, what I grew up knowing as soul food. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, it's the way down south, because up north, we don't eat that. You know that. Yeah, yeah I, all that stuff. I, that stuff you hear about in movies and such. But yeah, that's no, really good for you. totally. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, we have this like old wisdom of how to like get the right things we need from nature to make us healthy and 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 vital. And you know, we've lost that in our modern culture because we rely on the grocery store rather than, than the forest. You know, um, yeah. and so. A lot of what I really uh, teach people is about getting back to the ways of the past and the natural world. And that's how they get better for most of these things. And just so for anybody that wants to for next week or to ask Dr. Kaufman anything, Dr. Kaufman, the URL link will be in the description below. So just hit him up and you can ask him and he'll answer it because he's really good like that. And again, I will digress. Um, 
Okay, so we got we got a howdy, Dr. Kaufman from uh, Gary in Calgary, Alberta. Um, and he said, I'm very interested to hear your opinion about stropantine, stropanthus, uh, albane G stropanthin as a cardiac treatment. I have chronic heart failure, um, ejection fraction 32%. Well, uh, Gary, I actually am not familiar with those uh, particular treatments, but I'd say in general that I don't think you can really cure too many um, illnesses with supplements. Um, I think usually it's just a matter of giving your body the right environment, like adjusting the terrain so that the, um, the illness can repair itself or, or the body can repair itself. And with heart failure, actually going on a, a whole food vegan diet has been shown to have amazing results in um, improving your ejection fraction and restoring your heart function. So I would definitely suggest uh, trying that if you give it a period of uh, four to six weeks. And um, what I'm talking about is eating only whole food. So like fruits, vegetables, whole grains. Uh, it might be a good idea to do only gluten-free grains uh, for a while, but no processed foods at all. Just a simple vegan diet for four to six weeks. And I bet you'll have uh, a major improvement. Um, if that doesn't do the trick, once again, you're welcome to contact me to get some more um, individualized uh, information. So it's fun to be like uh, able to talk about all these different kind of topics. Sorry, I'm on the other. I'm on the other screen typing. I'm answering comments. So. Oh, okay. Well, uh, that question right there from Babe Morgan actually jibes right with a question from Steve, which is my next one. So good. See good how that works. And I was, that was the question I was actually answering. So it's good. good <laughs> oh no way, really? Yeah. Yep. So um, here, this one is uh, Steve phrased it a little bit differently. He goes, "Is change to a person's DNA or RNA possible from a vaccine?" The reason I ask is that if viruses do not cause disease, then some mechanisms cited as potentially a way a vaccine can change a person's DNA or RNA may not even exist. Okay, so I think I I think I get the point, and um, this this is a really timely question and something that I'm doing more research into because uh, I'm just looking into various elements of the what, what might be called the transhumanist agenda. Uh, which is, you know, loosely defined as um, changing us into something other than natural, right? And so changing our genes would be one way to do that. So um, there's a couple of things related to this that, um, you know, might be helpful to know, which is um, basically, so these new vaccines that they're trying to develop uh, for COVID-19, um, are the type that they, they have actually been in development for a number of years, but have not been successful in any clinical trials, so they've never made it to market. But they're, they work totally different from the other vaccines, and they have like a strand of DNA or RNA in them that they're trying to inject and make it go inside of our cells, like the host cells, like our human cells. And so like the Inovio uh, vaccine, which I know the most about, it has uh, this special electrodes that are additional needles that go in with the injection, and they uh, deliver a current that makes little pores in your cells, and then the circular pieces of DNA that have some gene that they want to put in there go inside the cell. And then the idea is that in those muscle cells, because you know they inject vaccine into the muscle, so in those muscle cells, they'll take up that genetic material and then they're supposed to use that to make a gene product, right? Like the way DNA works is that the DNA in our nucleus or in our mitochondria 
um, unravels and a section of it opens up. And then uh, this whole apparatus comes on uh, called uh, RNA polymerase and it makes RNA from the DNA and but only of a specific gene that has a gene product to make a protein. And so that RNA may be processed a little further and goes to a different part of the cell called the ribosome. And there it uh, has a different kind of machinery that comes to uh, assemble proteins. And it uses uh, three of those bases are what's called a codon and they add up to one amino acid. So the cell machinery like makes a protein by adding one amino acid at a time uh, that's translated from the DNA. So if we put foreign DNA in our cells, that is also gonna be transcribed and translated, that's the process of making RNA and proteins, then essentially we are changing the genetics of our cell. Now, you know, technically whether this DNA is gonna integrate into our nuclear DNA or it's gonna be kept separate or how long it's gonna be in existence, like I can't really answer those questions, but at least for some period of time, the intention of the vaccine is for us to use foreign DNA to make foreign proteins inside our own cells. So essentially, I think, you know, th this is uh, the same exact thing that they do for genetically modified organisms. Um, there, they may try to put it in a germ cell, which is like the egg or the sperm, so that every single cell in the organism uh, expresses that gene. So that's the main difference between us and a typical uh, GMO uh, organism like GMO corn uh, or whatever in in the sense, but the, but they're essentially doing the same thing, inserting foreign DNA into our cells so that our cells make it. So yeah, this is a genetically modified organism strategy. Hey, real quick, just uh, there's a lot of this going through the comments and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but have you ever addressed Morgellons with me before? I, I can't remember, but I think you have. Yeah, I don't, remember, I don't remember if we talked about it specifically, but I think it's probably just a parasite issue. See, I kind of always figured it was whatever we were breathing in from all the heavy metal being sprayed in the atmosphere. And some people were were assimilating it and others, people's bodies were rejecting it. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, there is, uh, you know, our bodies are going to process toxins in a different way because uh, of a variety of factors. Like what is our health status, first of all? And then also what are we uh, doing in terms of detoxification, right? Like some of us maybe have a bowel movement once a week and others of us have two or three a day. So the people with two or three a day, they're going to be getting rid of toxins way faster than the person who's constipated, right? So, um, and then if you're dehydrated, for example, you're not going to be able to get rid of toxins very easily because your blood is going to be all viscous and sluggish, right? Whereas if you're well hydrated, then you're going to get rid of things much more easily. So it's not just the amount that we're exposed to, it's really the amount that is stored in our body. And then our immune system kind of makes a determination where to store these toxins. And um, they, I think the initial strategy is wherever they're going to cause the least harm. So like most people, when they get a, a vaccine and it has a bunch of aluminum in it, uh, right after the injection, your immune system contains it right in the muscle and walls it off in this structure called the granuloma, right? And that's like, because it knows it's bad stuff and it doesn't want it to get to any vital organs, so it just contains it, right? But later on, it may not be able to continue containing it. Like maybe the, those immune cells get called 
up to respond to some other issue in the body and they take some of that aluminum with them and bring it to that other site in the body. And I think a lot of um, illness uh, that's vaccine related or metal related happens that way. And when you have, um, you know, metal toxicity, it almost always seems to go with parasites. There's something about the metals that attracts the parasites. Maybe, uh, you know, they like to eat them or it creates something in the environment that they like. And so often that's an accompanied problem. So, you know, one way that Morgellons may be explained is that that there's metal poisoning within the skin or it could be some other kind of toxicity. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had like uh, the personal experience to have any clients with that condition, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty convinced based on what I read that it's essentially a parasite issue. Are you seeing this question right here? I, it's, I, I know you've already got a list of them, but. Oh, is there a cure for autism? I, I never actually even thought to ask it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, well, um, you know, you, there's a lot that can be done uh, to help with autism. And it's something that, uh, that I actually am putting a lot of uh, energy and research into to try and uh, provide the right information for people who wanna um, get better from that condition. I think it, you know, a lot of things depend on the severity, the individual, how committed they are to, uh, you know, going through the work that it takes to get the medals out because it, it's not an easy uh, process. But there are lots of success stories uh, where people got amazingly better and some people have fully recovered. So I think, you know, it's definitely something that is, um, uh, can be improved in most cases. And, you know, it's, uh, if you can find the right person to talk to about it and do some good research, I think, you know, you can, you can have some, some pretty amazing results. So are you, are you still looking into that? I mean, I'm sure it's a long road. Yeah, well, um, you know, like I have um, had some clients that I've spoken to about it and, um, you know, uh, they have tried different things and I'm paying close attention to the effects of different things. And um, I have a couple of other collaborators that have done some different research with things like spagyrics and such um, to try and, you know, get get the best results possible. And I'm learning from other practitioners who have, uh, you know, been successful in a variety of ways. So, uh, you know, like, um, I don't think I have, I, I don't know that there's like a magic recipe that would work for any individual. I think that there's gonna be some unique, you know, factors from person to person that might have to be addressed. Uh, but, you know, there's definitely a lot you can do. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you should be encouraged that there could be significant improvement and possibly even, uh, you know, total uh, um, remission. I can't even imagine having a child with autism and so many of my subscribers do. When I was a kid, this autism wasn't even, I never even heard of it. Do you know what I mean? Once in a while you'd have somebody in a classroom when you were in third or fourth grade that was kind of problematic, but it usually, it was almost always abuse at home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now it's just, it's just commonplace. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not because of all the vaccinations, it's because we're just better at testing now, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I know that's a, a pretty ridiculous argument. Um, someone I heard made a, a, a clever counter argument to that that says, well, you know, where are the all the 30 year olds wearing, uh, you know, football helmets walking Ooh, around the mall? Call. I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that. Good call, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, the only way I knew about it when I was a kid was that my mother was a special education teacher. 
and she only rarely had a kid with autism and it was like very difficult to deal with they were very low functioning uh, people that she worked with so you know so she told me a little bit about that and i it stuck with me as a child i thought wow that's you know that's really a difficult thing to uh, to deal with and then who know would have known that i would have been a psychiatrist and you know, working directly with uh, with autistic kids in a, in a behavioral way, like, you know, psychiatry doesn't really have anything to offer other than sedating them, uh, which is not something that, um, you know, is in my repertoire. But but in natural healing, there's there's quite a lot that can be done. It's amazing how natural healing, all the stuff that just makes good common sense is considered quackery. You know what I mean? Stick with processed foods, take your petroleum-based pharmaceuticals, and you'll be fine. That's where we're at. That's why I love James Corbett so much, because he tied the oil guys directly to the medical schools, to the pharmacies, everything. You know what I mean? They got rid of all the natural stuff. You're eating chocolate-flavored chemicals now, you know? it. And I think, I'm pretty sure, I haven't looked into it. Somebody sent me a link earlier that the FDA is, not, you know, they're going to make it even more difficult for you to understand what's in your food because it's none of your business. Just shut up and eat, you know? Yeah. So yes. No, no. I mean, you know, like that the food uh, industry and the medical industry are, are closely related. And, you know, there was a, a really a campaign of propaganda, you know, that was funded by Andrew Carnegie and, and uh, John D. Rockefeller. And it was carried out mostly through the AMA, uh, people like Morris Fishbein where they were, you know, endorsing products, basically like recommending products as, you know, being approved by the AMA. And it was really who they could get the most money from. I mean, it was a totally corrupt thing. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't even doctors um, who were doing this. You know, it was just basically a big commercial operation, which is, you know, where we're at now. But if people, you know, just ate better, then doctors would be out of business. Yeah, it's, there's no there's no worry about that <laughs> at all. So it's amazing. Hey, did you, Adam? Just real quick, did you happen to see? And when I did the live stream with uh, James the other night, the headline on the I think it was Market Watch or something said, you know, during the lockdown, billionaires became four hundred and thirty-four billion dollars richer, and they showed it all. And they, you know, uh, Bezos and uh, Zuckerberg, etc. Two days later, the whole story was a trap. No, no, they didn't make all that money. So obviously the guy that made a billion that actually owned that branch of the mainstream media fired his editor and said, right. change that title. Well, you know, I mean, listen, how, how would all these CEOs like voluntarily quit and close down their operations like before there was one person sick? You know, there had they had to be paid off or had some angle to, to make profit. Right. And, then, and you saw the um, like the Federal Reserve, like they have a million programs as part of the stimulus package and they all have like their own alphabet soup. And, you know, it's impossible to keep up with everything. But I heard about one program, which was essentially a corporate loan and it didn't have to be paid back. It was like a guaranteed loan that the uh, Federal Reserve would just, um, you know, basically uh, write off their balance sheet. And so it's just a windfall, you know, for all the executives to just take home a big bonus. And, uh, you know, while they shut down their company and, um, you know, I mean, how, also, how has the stock market, you know, stayed where it's at with uh, smoking mirrors? <laughs> mirrors. I mean, we watched we literally watched oil go negative. Yeah. 
which is, I mean, for people that don't understand that, I have a tanker full of, of crude oil that I'll give you $10 million to take off my hands. You know what I mean? But somehow the stock market's still good because it's all smoke and mirrors. They're doing the same thing. The second wave, when this finally breaks, it's going to be ugly because they've destroyed the country and they're literally, they're doing an enormous Freemasonic Illuminati black magic type ritual where they're literally changing Americans, whether they understand it or not. Yeah. You don't Have you seen other people hide your faces? It's just insanity. Yeah. Um, have you seen that um, that uh, video about the initiation ritual? Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I'm, I'm media. with that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I did. It's and really profound. And it's, it's working like a champ. I'm watching people walking in the woods by themselves wearing a mask. You're outside surrounded by pine trees wearing a mask, walking on the Atlantic Ocean wearing a mask. It's just, it's insane. It's insane. And then it's amazing how people for the most part, won't stand up for anything. But we're seeing more and more video of people actually ganging up and attacking people that aren't wearing masks. It's, it's a, just another layer to the divide and conquer. Politics, yeah. sports, religion, and now COVID. It's just, it was brilliantly, brilliantly done. Yeah, absolutely. The playbook is deep. It is deep. Okay, let me jump out of the way. Go ahead. All right. So... Um, all right, here we go. Uh, this one is from Ivan. Uh, I'd like to know what's Dr. Kaufman's take on chronic diseases, what caused them and how to heal them. Specifically, my sister suffers from hyperthyroidism called Graves disease. It's triggered by her pregnancy. Before she got pregnant, she was all healthy. But after delivery, she's having this hyperthyroidism and on anti-thyroid medicine. Graves disease is said to be an autoimmune disease. Um, and so basically, is there an alternative way to heal her? Well, um, yes, there definitely is an alternative way uh, to heal her. And I think uh, usually for autoimmune diseases um, uh, using and, you know, once again, let me just say that uh, this is not medical advice. This is for information purposes only. But um, turpentine has been uh, very successful at um, alleviating autoimmune disease. You can definitely check out uh, Dr. Jennifer Daniels' website, vitalitycapsules.com, and download the Candida Cleaner Report. And that, that's a, about a 20-page document about turpentine. It gives a lot of good information uh, that will help uh, educate you. But, you know, the, I, I mean, chronic diseases in general, many of them are actually, uh, you know, they're caused by toxins, malnutrition, um, and uh, healthcare perpetuates them. But let me talk specifically about the autoimmune diseases because I and pregnancy because this is a very common um, experience that many women have the onset of an autoimmune disease during pregnancy, which could be actually the other thyroid disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which causes a low thyroid, so the opposite, but also rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and illnesses like that. And um, Forrest Moretti, who's wrote, written several books um, about uh, vaccines and about metal toxicity, um, wrote one book called Crooked, which I highly recommend. And in there, he had a very interesting theory about this that's based on a lot of research. And it has to do with basically there are body changes um, that occur during pregnancy in order to accommodate, you know, carrying uh, and growing a fetus into, uh, you know, into a baby to be to be born. And after so so your body goes through these 
different changes. Like, for example, one that he talked about at length is that that when you're pregnant, women um, emit a hormone called relaxin, and it allows the connective tissue in the joints to stretch out more, right? So like the pelvis can open up so the baby can get out of the body. And then after the pregnancy, the joints want to stiffen up again, right? So they can function, um, you know, normally without like a non not being pregnant. And during that process, the immune system may inadvertently relocate metals that were stored somewhere safely, like I mentioned before in a granuloma, and bring them now to the joints where they're trying to repair them. And then they can end up causing, you know, this chronic issue in the joints or in the thyroid, because the thyroid also undergoes significant changes uh, during pregnancy to meet the needs of the developing fetus as well as the mother. So I think the same kind of thing would happen with the thyroid that as it returns to normal physiology and repairs itself from the changes during pregnancy that essentially brings inadvertently metals from somewhere else in the body and puts them in the thyroid and then it, it messes up the function of the thyroid. So hopefully that's a, a clear explanation. It's a little bit complicated, but, um, but I think that that makes quite a lot of sense and there's a, a lot of research to uh, support it. Even though it sounds like it's a little bit complicated, most people seem to get it for the most part. So you do a really good job. And again, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. This is, uh, you know, it's kind of fun uh, just being able to shoot off a bunch of uh, questions and talk about different topics. So, of course, you would think it was fun. Good, good. <laughs> it amuses you. It works out well for everybody. So. All right. So, Okay, I think there's the there's the 5G question. I think we already answered it mostly, but this is from Jenny in uh, Melbourne, Australia. And uh, she said, how can we best protect uh, or arm ourselves health-wise to reduce, avoid serious harm from EMFs for 5G or any EMFs? I've heard something about iodine. So uh, let me tell you a few tricks. And I, you know, I think by and far the best thing is to avoid exposure as much as possible. So, you know, like don't let them put a smart meter on your house, uh, turn off your Wi-Fi, you know, use an Ethernet cable to hardwire your computer, um, you know, turn off your phone, don't keep your phone in your room at night or any other electronic devices, things like that. And, you know, also you should maybe look into dirty electricity a little bit because there are some simple things that could be causing harm. I recommend, you know, not using LED or compact fluorescent light bulbs. Use the old-fashioned incandescent ones uh, to have the less uh, less EMF uh, toxicity. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're in an area where they're installing 5G and there's nothing you can do about it, or you feel like there's nothing you can do about it, um, there are some things you can do to protect yourself. Now, I, I'm kind of lucky because I have a, I live in a home that's 100 years old and it is covered in lead paint that was covered up on top with aluminum siding. So the, I think the paint's been protected and it's in good shape, but I don't know if I'd recommend uh, painting your house with lead, with lead paint uh, these days or if it were available. But um, the ultimate protection you could do is what's called a Faraday cage. And uh, I have seen images of some people actually constructing a Faraday cage around their bed because you spend, you know, a really big portion of your time sleeping, and so it's important that you're protected uh, during bedtime, um, if not during any other time. But uh, short of that, they do make some bed linens that have woven like silver threads and other uh, metallic threads that can 
uh, form a, a less of a, a secure Faraday cage around you, which protects you from the radiation. Um, there's also uh, plants tend to absorb the EMF. So if you can surround yourself with plants or like, let's say that you, uh, you know, have a wall that's closest to where the 5G antenna is, you can put, uh, you know, plants along that wall to absorb uh, some of the EMF uh, and help protect you. So, you know, these are all uh, measures that can definitely help. But I think, you know, the, the best thing is to uh, try to avoid the exposure altogether. Somebody just mentioned that uh, Sophia Smallstorm covered the 5G and all this other. You guys just had a great live show. What was it, three days ago? Yeah, yeah. We just put it out uh, the beginning of the week. Yep, she's great. I had her on a million years ago, it seems like, but she's always got great information. And she's been warning us that this day was coming. And Yeah, actually. And uh, she actually makes um, Faraday bags for your cell phone. Um, and sells them on her website. So she, she's very knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, so she's definitely a good resource. I'm sure she has lots more information there, uh, you know, if people want to learn more. Well, those links are up on your uh, YouTube channel, correct? Yeah, yeah. Her, her link is uh, definitely up there. All right. Okay. So what is the doctor's stance on vitamins and supplements, specifically taking collagen supplements. And this is from Rod Berg. Well, thanks, Rod. I think uh, hopefully you heard my answer about collagen earlier. Um, but I'll tell you, in general, I'm not really big on vitamins and supplements. I only really um, think they're useful in specific circumstances where you're specifically deficient in something, um, or if you have a particular problem and you need specific nutrients. I generally recommend getting uh, vitamins and minerals from food sources as much as possible. Uh, for example, like if you um, feel that you need replacement of some macro minerals like uh, magnesium, potassium, um, etc. Uh, one thing that is really great for that is actually molasses. Um, so molasses is what's left of the sugarcane plant essentially after they take the sugar out. And so all the nutrition is concentrated in there and it's excellent mixture of minerals. So I would generally make that kind of a recommendation. There's one, I don't know if you'd really call it a supplement, um, but uh, you, you could, that I recommend universally, which is a trace mineral supplement. And uh, there are two varieties of that. There's fulvic minerals and shilajit. And essentially they're just um, uh, tar from a decayed forest that's mined out of the earth that just has a broad spectrum of trace minerals that we things we use in very very tiny amounts and um you know the important thing when you're choosing a specific product with respect to that is that you look at the certificate of analysis and make sure the levels of any dangerous metals like arsenic because it will be in there uh, to a small degree make sure those are well below safe levels i would say like one one uh, order of magnitude below the EPA uh, threshold would be what I would consider safe. And that would be, you know, things like arsenic and lead um, that might be in there. But other than that, that's a really important supplement. I do recommend certain things for specific reasons, uh, like, for example, vitamin C, um, in addition to being an excellent antioxidant and helpful with detoxification. And I do recommend it for certain detox procedures. Uh, but also it can actually be a blood thinner. So it can be used to uh, treat blood clots, uh, for example. So that's, that's really how I would generally 
uh, talk about uh, vitamins and supplements. One thing I really notice uh, that's almost universally true is that when clients uh, work with me, um, they're almost always taking a number of supplements already. And so I ask them, you know, have they helped with your problem? And the answer is almost always, no, they haven't helped. So, uh, you know, I don't, I think that really fits with the allopathic medical model that you have uh, an illness or a disease or a health problem and you just find the right pill that's gonna treat it, right? And that's not really uh, the way that I uh, conceptualize uh, restoring yourself to health. Nice, nice. Um, I had a question and I forgot it. I hate having no memory, it sucks. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there staring at it, staring at it and then I already forgot what it was. Well, maybe uh, maybe we should talk about how to uh, improve your uh, your memory and attention. Oh, great! <laughs> Full work. What was it? I had it right here too. I didn't want to hold it up too long. All right, it'll come back. Whatever. Who cares? That's okay. I mean, I, a bunch of questions have been coming in through my website uh, while we're talking here. So have at it. Have at it. Like I said, this yeah. Is you want to go a little bit longer? Have at it. Yeah, I, I've got some like energy. All right, so there's one more uh, question I had in advance, and this is from Marie Tolliver. She says, she writes, I currently have chronic ulcers, gastritis, and I'm in need of a follow-up uh, EGD scope. Um, that's where they put a uh, fiber optic scope um, down your nose or mouth uh, through your um, esophagus into your, into your stomach and intestine. Um, the kicker is the hospitals require me to take a COVID test for a few days before I can get this test. I've been putting it off because I don't trust the test. What do you, would you recommend I do? Are there natural ways to help my esophagus and stomach heal besides aloe vera? All right, well, this is uh, there's a lot of good questions buried in here. And um, I would definitely agree with you that um, I would not trust uh, the test and I would not submit to the test personally. And uh, I don't know if they can really withhold the procedure from you, but you know they, they have the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, they hold the cards on that one. But I would say, why do you need a scope? Um, I question the usefulness of that because that's not going to improve your condition at all. Um, it's only going to uh, make them uh, a bit of money, put you at risk of poking a hole in your esophagus or causing another injury, um, and certainly, you know, being uncomfortable um, and ha at least having a sore throat minimally after the procedure. So I'm not sure what the benefit is you know if you have the symptoms of an ulcer or gastritis. And if you still have those, then they're still causing damage to those parts of your body, um, no matter what it you know, show, might show on the scope. So I would say, you know, well, I think the best thing to do would be focus on uh, alleviating that condition. Now, I don't know what is um, you know, causing it in you, but there are a lot of, uh, aloe vera is not even one way that I would use to address it. That may provide like relief of the symptoms, but it won't get at the underlying problem. Um, there could be a, a variety of reasons, but one of the most common things just really is once again, dietary. And uh, especially if you eat a lot of foods that have glyphosate, which is Roundup. Um, so basically eating things that are not organic or that are GMO can definitely result in this condition. Uh, sometimes um, drinking alkaline water can actually uh, cause this, but there are many, many factors and usually they're dietary. But uh, this is something that can, can really be uh, worked with. Uh, many people actually have good results just by um, not eating in the morning and pushing their first meal later in the morning. So there are many things you could do. And um, if you wanna 
uh, you know, talk to me more in more detail because I don't have enough information really how to um, address it, your situation, but please uh, reach out to me if you want more information. All right, next we have uh, Abby from London. So how does one help the body to detox from chlorine poisoning? I've been exposed to chlorine in bath water for many years growing up, and I have during that time experienced eye irritation, breathing difficulties, and dizzy spells that caused me to collapse. It has visibly damaged my hair, and I'm quite concerned. I now have a chlorine shower filter. Okay, well, that's that's uh, really interesting, Abby. I'm not sure um, like how you know that all those problems are from chlorine or not, but usually uh, the chlorine, like the amount that would be in, you know, tap water is not enough to cause a, acute problems like that. Like I definitely know people that have had their hair bleach from chlorine, but almost always those were uh, people on the swim team who were in like heavily chlorinated water many hours a day. So um, I'm not really sure if uh, chlorine is the main issue or not for you, but let's just assume for the sake of this question that it is. Um, your body should be able to detox chlorine pretty easily uh, because it normally it's something that's in the environment and uh, and it, although it's in different forms, but our body does have some ability to handle it um, and manage it. And we have, you know, we actually have need chlorine in our body to some degree. It's like an essential um, electrolyte. So uh, one thing that may be helpful is just simply supplementing with iodine. Sometimes uh, chlorine can substitute for iodine in certain molecules, and if you increase the amount of iodine, you can displace it. But I think um, if you've already changed your exposure level, and um, you know, hopefully you're also filtering it out of your drinking water. Uh, but if you've if you've reduced your exposure, I think your body should be able to eliminate it on its own without without too much effort. Um, so hopefully that will occur. But you know, you could always try the iodine if that doesn't work. Hey, Andrew, real quick, what are, what are your thoughts on fasting? I know you spoke about it before, but I don't remember what they were. Yeah, well, I, uh, I think fasting can be a really helpful uh, restorative process. And um, I, you know, I recommend either water or juice fasting, not dry fasting. For how long? <clears throat> well, seven days maximum. Ooh. I think uh, the, the, you know, what I would say is the definition of fasting would be not eating for 24 hours. So you can even get a benefit just doing it for 24 hours. For me, three days is like the sweet spot um, that I, I feel like uh, it's pretty easy to do a three-day fast, and I feel really good uh, after that. Uh, you know, I don't feel like I need more. Some people like to really push it um and you know do do the whole seven days and i find sometimes i'm like telling people no 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 you really don't need to do that extra three days at the end you know just keep it to seven because what what happens is after seven days that your uh, electrolytes can start getting um out of whack and then that can cause uh problems uh, even like heart problems and stuff so you know you need to start monitoring that and doing some things proactively that makes it complicated um, but it's definitely safe up to seven days. And what, what's going on during that time is that you're giving your body a real chance to go through a major cleansing. And, you know, in many cultures, actually, this time a little bit earlier, but like around the spring equinox, that people would kind of come out of the winter and do a fast, um, you know, right before the first harvest and um, as a sort of renewal uh, ritual for the spring and summer harvest season. 
Um, so I would, uh, you know, so there, there's a, it's a time honored tradition. And one of the things that goes on uh, when you fast is called autophagy, where basically the body kind of cleans up uh, itself. So like older and dying cells or damaged cells have the opportunity to die off and, and be renewed or regenerated. Um, and so this is really helps with the detoxification process. And, uh, you know, I think um, a lot of times if you have a lot of toxicity and you want to do some cleansing and kind of jumpstart it, uh, it's a great way to go is to do like a three to seven day fast uh, to, to get things started and then and then adopt a much cleaner diet after that. Have you have you had any experience fasting, Richie? I, I have. I've, I've done 24, 36 hours. But the reason I have this comment up here, I don't necessarily get dizzy, but I definitely get shaky. Really? You know what I mean? Well, it's important. Like, uh, you know, one thing that many people may already not drink enough water. And then if they sort of get a lot of their water from food and if you're not eating food, then you you need to like actually increase your water intake during that time. So that would be the first thing that I would uh, suggest is just try like doubling the amount of water you're drinking and see if you still get that effect. And then the other thing I often recommend, and for me, like I notice going into the second day is when this uh, becomes an issue that I get a little bit of muscle cramps. Um, and I think it's a salt depletion. So I just start adding salt to my water on day two, like just a quarter teaspoon to a pint uh, of water. And it actually, it tastes really good. And, um, and then I have no issues, uh, when I do that. So that's a, that's a thing I often, uh, you know, I think is worth trying. All right. I'm going to bring this one up. You can pass on it if you want, but this comes up constantly. I never actually mention it, but this time I'm going to, because this guy has a comical name. Can you see this? <laughs> yeah. Any comment? You just want to pass. It's your call. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't listen. I don't mind uh, touching right. any exotic issues. So, um, I don't have direct experience with urine therapy, although I'll tell you that if I were, you know, um, stranded in the desert or shipwrecked and had no other water, I would definitely drink my urine because uh, that will save your life. But there there are lots of um, indigenous cultures where they've used um, urine as a therapy where people will drink their own urine and it could be uh, quite effective for a number of conditions. So I think, you know, what I've learned about natural healing is um, that there is, are more than one way to uh, heal from illness. So I have a certain you know, uh, way to conceptualize these illnesses and a way um, you know, that I would go about uh, trying to heal from these, but it's not the only way. Um, like for example, I don't use any uh, energy modalities um, because I'm not an expert in those and I haven't fully investigated them yet, but I'm planning to. And so like something like the Tesla violet ray device, for example, can be really effective. And uh, like I've spoken to Clive DeCarl, who's another natural healer, and he's uh, had amazing results with that. But we've both had success working with people with the same conditions using different techniques. So I didn't think that urine therapy was going to be popular among the clients that mostly come and seek me out. So I didn't spend the time uh, researching it too much, but I would definitely, you know, if anyone really uh, was interested in that, I would, I would say that it, it definitely has merit and it's worth a try. Certainly it's not going to be harmful. Well, I know plenty of special forces and I know plenty of survivalist dudes that have done it when the shit hits the fan, it works. I just yeah. don't think it'd be something I'd be, you know, no, it's not, it's not, it's not really. the most pleasant. 
He's like dying for a nice big jug of, you know what I mean? Yep. No, no, but you know, it's like you you know that when you're when you're so thirsty, right? It's like anything tastes good. It's just like uh, after you like um, I remember the first time I did a three day fast. It was uh, only a few years ago, and um, I was just like so looking forward to like only the last few hours did I think about food at all because it was like I'm like oh it's getting to be sundown. I'm going to be eating, you know, in a couple of hours because I planned it for like a dinner be my first meal. And um, I had these collard greens that, you know, normally I like collard greens, right? But I'm not, I don't get excited about collard greens, you know, but I, I got excited about these collard greens and they just tasted like, it was like eating ice cream. Like well, it was, it was that good, you know, after three days. That's the amazing fast. thing about fasting, you know what I mean? Everything tastes great, but still, <laughs> still. <laughs> All right. What else you got? All right, let's see. Um, oh yeah, yeah. This this is a question that I can answer pretty quickly. Um, it's from Testy uh, in Monterey, and it says, uh, "Why does your slide presentation say the virus was never visualized? Then later it says it was visualized in only one patient." So sorry if I was not clear on that. It, it was never a virus was never visualized. A particle of some sort of unidentified um, origin was visualized in only one patient. And I mentioned that because they actually had seven patients that they did the genetic analysis on, but only one of them did they try to actually look under the microscope and visualize something. So hopefully that, that makes things clear. And then I do have a few more, like, what do you think? Like two more questions, Richie? It's your call, brother. It's your time. Honestly, I'm just here to, I'm just a vehicle, man. You do it. Well, I mean, like questions keep coming in. So if I just answer all of them, we'll, we'll just be here till like 10, 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> it is what it is. Do what you got to do. All right. Let's see. Um, so this one is from Sakari in Finland. Uh, can you shed some light on how to go about tackling cardiovascular disease? I was diagnosed with it out of the blue at 38. I'm not someone who would fit the normal risk group, not overweight, don't consume much alcohol, no apparent relation to bad genes, et cetera, and all the chit-chat with the nurses and doctors stop there. So uh, Sakari, actually those things are not really um, the cause of heart disease. Uh, I know there is some like statistical association, but if you look further, it doesn't uh, really pan out the way that you think. And, and actually Don and David, uh, Richie, you put up their book before, um, they um, covered this really well um, in their book uh, about heart disease. And I did an interview with them where we touched on it briefly. Yeah, there you go. So um, I think it's chapter eight in that book covers non-communicable diseases. And that's where you'll uh, find uh, some, some really good information about cardiovascular disease. So what I, um, you know, the way medicine handles this is really awful because it's, it's a disease really that involves the blood vessels and it's all over the body. But, you know, if it's, it happens to be in your brain, you go to a neurosurgeon or a neurologist. If it's in your legs, you go to a vascular surgeon. If it's in your heart, you go to a cardiologist. If it's in your uh, abdominal aorta, you go to a, um, a, a general surgeon so, or a vascular surgeon again. So it's like there's, you know, at least four or five different doctors working on the same disease and they only treat it in one part of the body with a local treatment, but it's something that affects your whole body. So it's important to understand that and that any way that you try to remediate it is going to involve the whole body. 
right? And we know that, um, you know, the blood pressure medicines and the aspirin and bypass surgery and all those things have no um, evidence that they have any survival benefit uh, or any significant uh, meaningful uh, benefit. Um, but what, what I think cardiovascular disease is, it's really a combination of two things. And, and dehydration is the main operating uh, problem. And you just don't have enough volume in your blood and the blood gets very viscous, thick and sludgy and it just can't circulate as effectively. And also we know like from Virchow's triad uh, that when the blood is not flowing as much that it's more likely to clot. And so when you, when you have a heart attack or a stroke, what it is is that there's a clot forms inside your blood vessel and then breaks off and um, floats. And as the artery narrows, it blocks it off and then it can't get blood to some vital organ like the heart or the brain in those situations. And so the other factor is basically toxicity in the blood vessels. So because of the combination of the toxicity and the, the blood thickness is what makes the clot form. And it's because the toxins, they basically damage, they cause oxidative stress to the inside lining of the blood vessel wall and it can fracture and that activates the clotting system. And that's how the blood clot uh, forms. So it's really, um, so the way that you can prevent a heart attack is by simply hydration, or if you feel chest pain coming on, if you uh, hydrate yourself and uh, you can also take some magnesium, but the hydration is mainly what reverses it. The magnesium helps relax the, uh, the muscle and uh, alleviate the pain. Um, and so if you have, you know, cardiovascular disease, you can increase your hydration and then do some cleansing to purify those toxins out of the blood. And, and it's pretty much reversible. Uh, you know, you also have to stop exposing yourself to those toxins and it could be a variety of things, but like uh, high sugar and processed uh, starches and carbs is uh, probably the main culprits for most people. You're killing it. Just one after another. You're like, <laughs> like an information hitman. <laughs> well, you know, I've been studying this for a long time, so it's, no, it's good, good, good to be I'm able to use the knowledge. Um, Let me see here. Um, I've put a link in the comments, and I'll leave a link in the description after this is over for Don Lester and David Parker's book, What Really Makes You Ill and Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease is Wrong. That's the 800-page book, but you can also get it on Kindle, but it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really uh, comprehensive. All right, so I'm, I'm trying to look for one more good question here to wrap things up. Do, do you have any on your end? Oh, I'm over here just commenting and stu such. I'm not paying attention. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay, I'll do this one more, okay. So this will be today's last question, but you know, everybody, please, uh, I think most of you know the address since the questions are coming in, but it's, you know, andrewkaufmanmd.com slash RFB. Um, and that's how you could submit questions for next week. And um, okay, here, this is from Vlad in the, currently in the UK, but maybe from somewhere else. Um, I would be very grateful if you would consider something I've got to share. Long story short, almost a decade long fight with facial acne, sides of chin around lips, bloating, stress. But that's not the point. The point is that a few years back, they discovered hypogonadism, i.e. no testosterone. Treatment, replacement therapy gel forever. 
homeopathy didn't help how to fix well that's interesting so i think i would need to know a little bit more information uh like did is this something that you were born with or that um happened uh as an adult or sometime um in puberty because there could be uh different things going on and what hypogonadism actually doesn't mean low testosterone it means that your uh, testicles are underdeveloped or atrophied or small. So usually that is a birth defect um, and uh, probably caused by exposure to some toxin. So I would, without knowing, you know, I would have to know what like uh, kind of condition your testicles were actually in. But if there's any healthy tissue there, then there's definitely a number of things you can do. Uh, one thing you could do is uh, some uh, type of cleansing which you know basically is increasing your water and uh, bowel movements. Um, you might even try like uh, putting castor oil on the scrotum, uh, which might help dissolve some toxins if they're present. Um, and then you, the other thing that you would do to support your own body making testosterone would be to eat um, high cholesterol foods because uh, testosterone, of just like vitamin D and many other things in your body are made from cholesterol. And your, while your liver can make cholesterol from saturated fats, it can't always keep up with the body's demand. So like if you eat something like calf's liver or chicken liver, though that has super high cholesterol. Um, you know, bacon has fairly high and, and ribeye steak, but you really need to eat a lot of those. Um, shrimp and lobster, also very high cholesterol. So if you would eat one of those high cholesterol foods at least uh, three times a week uh, for a month or two, um, and try increasing your bowel movements and hydration, you may have uh, some improvement. Um, as long as you take the gel, it's gonna impair your body's own ability to make testosterone. So you might have to like um, back off on the gel as you're trying these measures to see if they work. But you know, it's possible that if this was a birth defect that your testicles may not be able to synthesize the testosterone for some reason. I just, uh, you know, there's no way to know that without uh, more information, but that's, you know, I'm sorry that you're uh, dealing with that issue. Hopefully it's, uh, you know, it sounds like the symptoms that you're getting are not super severe. So hopefully, um, you know, you're doing okay with that overall. So real quick, have you, you were just talking about estrogen and, and such. Did you see them trying to push the, to push the story that women seem to be not getting COVID so maybe they they should start giving men more estrogen to save to save them. Wow. It's amazing how we've watched them using things like atrazine and every other chemical they can sneak in the food supply to make men into pussies. Right. You know what Girl. I mean? And that was the latest one. Did you had you get a chance to see that? I, I didn't even think to pull the link up to yeah. you. Just no, I didn't see that specifically, but you know, like I, I think that there's a lot of um cons you know, biological and, and cultural and psychological consequences from these endocrine disrupting chemicals that we're exposed to. And you know, it's not just atrazine, there's many environmental chemicals, right? Like BPA is one that uh, you know, now we buy things that are BPA-free, but we don't realize that they just have BPB and BPC and BPD in them, which have the same problems. And um, you know, like all these uh, uh, engineered vegan products, um, what do you got there in your, you got soy milk in there? No, no, <laughs> I drink water. That's all I ever drink. Yeah. After it goes with a big Berkey, that is it, is water. I don't drink anything other than water. It's very boring. 
Yeah, no, no, that's, uh, and that's what your body needs. Um, you know, like if you want to have some herbal tea once in a while and uh, really go crazy, you know, it's not, uh, it's not harmful, but. I but, drink know. coffees in the morning. Is, it, is caffeine bad for you? Because I mean, I, without caffeine, I, it takes me forever to wake up, but I have done it without caffeine in a pinch. Yeah, well, you know, what happens is that um, when you, when you drink caffeine every morning or every day, um, it kind of burns out your, your adrenals. To the to the point that you you need a jump start, right? Like that you you feel really sluggish and you can't get going until you get that caffeine, that artificial jump start, um, and and that it's really a result of the the coffee habit itself. So if you were to like completely get yourself off caffeine and once you like reached a new state, you you wouldn't have that issue. You'd be able to get up you know normally in the morning like everybody did before that. But, you know, like it's not the worst thing in the world and you got to look at is it causing you problems? Uh, many times people come to me and, and caffeine is part of the issue, like because it contributes to dehydration, especially. And then the other thing is that coffee beans um, have one of the highest uh, degrees of like pesticides used to cultivate them. Awesome. So it's, uh, you know, really important to try to get organic coffee, but even organic coffee is not because it's not USDA regulated or you know, they often let them cheat a little bit, uh, you know, in order to, to uh, not lose money, like if there's a, a year where there's not enough rain or something like that. So, you know, so there's a lot of downside to coffee. But, you know, I mean, I, I drink some coffee occasionally. I, I got off of it on a regular basis two years ago. Two, uh, two, I drink two small ones in the morning and that's mm -hmm. it. I'm not one of those people that drinks it all day. But is there an alternative, like a legit alternative I could try? Well, you mean you mean an alternative that is a, a stimulant, yeah. or an alternative hot beverage? Just, to I don't even care because what it does as long as you tell me it'll work, I'll be like, okay, I'm fine. So yeah, here's what I recommend: like um, take take a thermos um, the night before, uh, like you know, do this before bed. Put uh, two or three cinnamon sticks in like a one quart of boiling water in a thermos, and just let it sit overnight, and then drink that as your hot beverage in the morning. And it's like a liquid red hot taste amazing got you got you because like i said i've woken up numerous times and it was either freezing out like i mean I'm, I'm out in the middle of nowhere i wake up and i just don't feel like making a coffee and i carry on yeah yeah of course you, you know it might not be the best day but yeah i mean you know some people like really can't do anything without it they're like totally dependent but you know it's uh it, it varies you gotta you gotta look at it you know the trade-offs for yourself uh with these kind of things but you know, right. don't, don't pretend it's, you know, completely harmless. Here's, here's, before we roll out, you already mentioned it, but I'm going to show this one more time. First of all, you guys invented a suicide detector. That's kind of badass. Was it, was it legit? Yeah. Yeah. It was legit. It, um, so, I mean, if you want me to tell you a little bit about that, um, you know, I was uh, a forensic psychiatrist was my main uh, operation back then. And uh, I had a real interest in uh, correctional suicide. I even wrote a, a co-wrote a book chapter on that. And so in there's a correction, like jailhouse suicide. Exactly. So right. in, in jails, like where people are held, you know, before trial um, there, the rate of suicide is quite high. It's more than three times the general population. And, you know, this is while they're inside a building where they're supervised and such. So it's, uh, you know, it's a significant problem um, because, you know, it's extremely stressful time to be in jail and awaiting, you know, some kind of decision about your future. I've been there. So, 
Yeah. So, um, and I was involved uh, like in several lawsuits as an expert witness with respect to this. And so realized it's just a problem and there was no good solution. So kind of had this idea after I was at a conference um, uh, about difficult, you know, suicide cases and that, you know, is there a way to detect a suicide attempt physiologically? And so what we uh, determined is that almost all of the suicides in jails, and by the way, there's actually quite a number in hospitals too, like on medical and surgical wards that people kill themselves while they're hospitalized. Um, that you could um, basically use a monitor to see when their blood supply gets cut off to the head. So because they, they use a hanging as the, by far the most uh, common method in these settings. So essentially it's like a little patch that goes behind your ear and it, it monitors the blood flow to your head. And if the blood flow suddenly decreases or shuts off, it would set off an alarm and someone could come cut you down. Uh, from the ligature. And actually in jails, they already had these things called cut down tool, which is like uh, basically something that you won't cut yourself when you use it, but it's meant to cut a ligature for uh, a person that's trying to hang themselves. So like I mentioned to you in the email earlier, apparently the way your hand is holding Governor Cuomo's, it's a secret society handshake and you've been caught red handed, no pun intended. And you, uh, you inform me that that is not exactly accurate. You're simply shaking his hand. Yeah, everyone. Absolutely. That was uh, so. That company that I had started, we had just won this grant um, that was uh, given out through the SUNY system because I was at a SUNY medical school, and it was like a big deal for the administration of the university that they got one of these awards, and so they wanted me to, you know, do this uh, little. Um, uh, fair that they had where, you know, people were who have won the awards were showing off posters about their company and like the, you know, big wigs from the state were were visiting and everybody got to give a little uh, presentation on their company. So, you know, I had to shake hands with the governor to, you know, make things look good for the medical school. And, you know, it was that kind of uh, when you're on the faculty of a medical school, you have certain un unpleasant duties like that. You didn't have to explain <laughs> yourself to me. It wouldn't. It Here's the deal. Even if I had somebody on that belonged to the Freemasonic organization, you're still exposing everything, even though you're not. But it, it doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're beyond that. It doesn't matter anymore. We all have to deal with what they're trying to force down our throat and what it appears that nine out of ten of our compatriots on this earth are buying, hook, line, and sinker. People are self-regulating, they're masking, they're staying away, they're wearing giant rubber donuts at, at bars and such. It's it's ludicrous. And they're crippling America and she doesn't even see it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. at any rate, I didn't want to sidestep that, that's all. And no, Dr. no, that's okay. I mean, like, you know, of course, like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm in the kind of the public forum. So, you know, it's fair to try to scrutinize me and make sure that I'm, you know, legit and don't have any uh, ill intent. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, people have to judge for themselves about that, no matter what I say. But, um, but I think if you look at, you know, the risks that I'm taking about what I'm saying and realize that I'm really going against every mainstream narrative, uh, well, I'm only concerned about telling the truth. Like, I'm. What was I'm, the first thing I said to you before we went live? I said, Dr. Kaufman, you're entering an entirely different realm. I said, once you're in here, you're going to be targeted by the people you're trying to help, number one. 
and by the people that are trying to perpetrate this. And you've seen this on both ends now. It's no joke. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely. Putting yourself out there and you don't you're not afraid. So. And you do it week after week after week, man. And like yeah. uh, Club uh, said, Dr. Cobb is bringing the truth. Where am I going to go? That's it. All right, man. That was 90 minutes. No problemo. Every link will be in the description. The link so you can ask Dr. Any question that you might have. Like he said, please don't leave, don't leave a novel. <laughs> try to stay, try to keep it, uh, try to keep it succinct. And um, I think that is pretty much it. You good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I just want to say thanks for everyone. Like it was great, interesting questions, and I appreciate the enthusiasm. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be here next week for sure. Sweet. All right, guys. Richie from Boston, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, MD. Links will be in the description.